Hey there, language lovers. My name is Shannon Kennedy, and I am the co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast, along with Benny Lewis. Our conversation today is with a memory expert, polyglot, musician, and best-selling author, Anthony Mativier. He is the creator of the Magnetic Memory Method, and we'll talk more about that as well as get into memory methods for language learners, why personalization is necessary for activation, why language learning is more than just memorizing, how it's easy to cheat your learning with SRS, how to get better at building mnemonics, and ways to speed up your memorizing. All of the resources and links mentioned in this episode are available to you in the show notes. And if you enjoy this episode or if you enjoy the Language Hacking Podcast in general, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. Now let's get into our chat with Anthony. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 68. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Benny Lewis and yours truly, Shannon Kennedy here, co-hosts of the Language Hacking Podcast. And in this episode, we're chatting with Magnetic Method founder, Anthony Mativier. So let's dive right in. Anthony, what led you to decide on specializing in memory? Well, thanks for having me. And, you know, that's an interesting question. What led me? It was the world that led me. It was almost an accident. Sometimes I'm interviewed on entrepreneurial shows and they're like, how did you manage to do all this stuff? And I don't know, <laughs> it just sort of happened. Um, I was in graduate school, very, very depressed, clinical depression, you know, will be family friendly and, you know, not have any trigger warnings, but it was life-threatening depression. And Canadian winter, 16 foot of snow, they're thinking about calling in the military to remove some of the snow. It was that kind of Canadian winter. I had my field exams, they're called for the PhD coming up, language requirement coming up. For some reason, the government thought it would be a good idea to stress me out by sending um, warnings about my student loans becoming due. And it just was crisis point. And I couldn't focus on a single page, let alone a sentence of some of this complex philosophy that I was responsible for. And if anybody's not done a PhD, I mean, it, it plays out in different ways, but these field exams, they're, they're quite intense. They're hours long with seven professors each grilling you. Any question is open based on lists, some of which have over 150 books and articles. So by the end of it, you know, you've got, you're responsible for a lot of stuff. And here I am depressed, freezing cold. I was not very good in my personal habits at the time. So I was drunk most of the time and that only exacerbated the depression. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm either going to quit school or, you know, fail these exams or snuff it. And uh, what happened was at York University in Toronto, which has this beautiful park called York Lanes that sort of reproduces an outside street in winter. So you can feel like you're in a sunny sort of location outside. A street magician was practicing his craft there and he showed me some tricks and uh, I grabbed his deck and I was like, I remember a trick from when I was a kid and I did the trick for him. And uh, long story short, I went home. YouTube was sort of a new thing at the time. And I started watching all these magicians and quickly found the idea of memory techniques. So then I could concentrate all of a sudden. I watched all the videos in the world about how to use memory techniques and so forth. And I learned to memorize a deck of cards and 
I thought this is impossible, but something switched in my head. And I realized that if I could get all the vocabulary that I needed to learn, all these complex terms like architectonic tautology, you know, and pregnance constructio like, onto these cards, if I memorize a deck of cards, I can memorize anything as long as it's on a card and in a memory palace and, you know, all the tools that we use. So the next story, I wound up getting the PhD, wound up getting a Mercator, which is a major research teaching grant to go to Germany and uh, learn German using these techniques or deeply assisted by the techniques is probably better said. And then I was teaching back in Canada. Actually, I was creating curriculum uh, and a teacher didn't show up that day. And the person I was working for said, could you teach this class? You know, put your hair in a ponytail, go in them there and teach them something. <laughs> so we went through what they needed to do. And at the end, we had a lot of time left. And, and I said, you know, what do you guys want to learn next? And uh, they said, I don't know, you're the teacher. So I said, let's learn how to say the alphabet backwards. And uh, I taught them some other memory stunts. And then they said, could you write that down? And I did. And that wound up on the internet anyway. And uh, that was, the, I never stopped. I was just, it was like a, a self-funding research project ever since. And uh, so the, long story short, the techniques saved my life. And I've been almost with religious zeal, sharing them with anybody who will listen ever since. Fascinating. And so you've uh, created a whole brand, the ma magnetic memory method around all of this. And what kind of, um, I mean, for uh, people may have like a superficial understanding of things like the memory palace and uh, maybe some mnemonic techniques, but what, what things do you uh, advise for people? And especially when it comes to language learning, what tools do you think could be very useful? Yeah, it's a great question uh, because the superficial understanding is, a, is the gateway drug into deeper and deeper levels of how this can work. Um, so for language learners, one of the best things that you can do is understand that everything is in language and that's how the memory techniques work. So what we're, we have a problem, which is that we use this word memory as if it's one thing. It's not this unitary mechanism that, you know, just is, uh, fluid. It's got so many different levels. And so we have sound and we have meaning when we're using uh, um, language and when we want to memorize it. We have at least those two things. There's more to it than that. But when, when we want to memorize things faster and we want to be able to optimize the process, what a memory palace does and what it is, is basically the original spaced repetition software. And so when we think and we hear about these ancient people who were able to carry entire books in their minds when they couldn't carry them on their backs, how do you do this? How, how, how do you scale this idea of, of using a space repetition software that's based on a home, which is what a memory palace is, or a building? And so that's what I wanted to figure out. And language learning was a great thing because I did biblical Hebrew in, as part of my PhD. And uh, I just thought myself, how does this scale? So I went and I read the books by the memory competitors. And, you know, Harry Lorraine has three pages on memorizing vocabulary and there's no understanding that I've ever had that he used it to learn a language. So I was puzzled by this, like, this doesn't make any sense. But when I looked at the Renaissance teachers like Giordano Bruno, who, you know, I don't know what languages he knew, but he traveled to Germany and England and all this stuff from, from Italy. And he had a way of using the alphabet to what's called Ars Combinatoria, which is the art of combination. So for language learners, how you could start to use this 
uh, to answer this more directly is imagine if you were to train your mind to think alphabetically and you come up with some words, let's start with the letter A, let's say, and you have a memory palace that is designed for the letter A. And you can scale this quite nicely because you take the words, I don't know, abartic or abartish in German, and you think, okay, so this is in my friend Alan's house, because that will remind me of A words. And then I have Abraham Lincoln in the house because abartish starts with AB and Abraham Lincoln starts with AB. This is just the basis. This is the, the sort of ground fundamentals. And then you're starting to link and you just have association that has association that has association. So it's almost a optimized way of allowing yourself to have faster associations than the standard, you know, think of something that sounds like it or think of something that, you know, is like it. It actually is like it because your mother tongue, let's say English in this case, AB equals AB. Now, in terms of granular detail, then what about art and tish or artish? Well, then you can think art. Well, Mona Lisa and then Tish, well, Tigger has a tail. That's not exactly the same, but some parts of Germany, they have a more a Tig sound. So now you have Abraham Lincoln plus the Mona Lisa, which is art, and then Tigger's tail. And you know it's in Alan's house. And you know it's in a specific part of Alan's house. So away you go. Now you go on to the next word, app bites middle or whatever it is. Um, and you have another AB word. And then you just do this. Maybe you have 10 in a memory palace and you use certain patterns. So the patterns are where we get into the space repetition sort of thing. We know that in order to learn, we need some repetition. And we know that there are things called primacy effect, recency effect, and serial position effect. And so if we can harness all of these things without needing to do it in a boring way with flashcards or with uh, space repetition software, um, we can just do it in our mind. Then we have to follow the Mary Palace journey forward, backwards, we start in the middle of the journey, go to the beginning, start in the middle, we go to the end, and then we skip the stations, one, three, five, seven, uh, nine, and then 10, eight, six, four, two, back. Stop me if I'm making this confusing, but um, the idea is, is that's what a space repetition software should do. It should give you primacy and recency of every single phrase or word that you're learning with some sort of serial positioning so that you have variety. The thing that the memory palace is so extraordinary with is I mentioned Abraham Lincoln, I mentioned Mona Lisa and Tigger. This is what we call in memory science, active recall. Active recall requires personalization. This is the great gift and this is the great challenge because instantly people will say, but I'm not like you. I don't instantly think about Abraham Lincoln or all this sort of stuff. And my answer to that is I wasn't like that either. I just had to learn. And this is exactly what the Renaissance memory book said, you know, Giordano Bruno said, he says, literally, if you can think of a better way, power to you. But I, he's like an early proto-information theorist. He said, this is the way. The alphabet, and he called it the gematria, which is based on the, the Hebrew alphabet, is the ultimate gift because it combines everything. And if you can just realize that you have everything already in your head that you could ever possibly need from the alphabet, then you, you don't have to be creative. You don't have to rebuild the wheel. You just think, what else do I know that starts with AB or ZE or ZER or ZU and so forth? Anyway, I knew all this before I got to Germany and I just 
siphoned the dictionary uh, as much as I could. And before you know it, I gave my first lecture uh, at the university in German and it wasn't great. It was rough and I had help and so forth and whatnot. But, you know, before long, I was able to, to, to shoot the breeze with anybody in, in German, Auf Deutsch. And, um, later I reproduced the experiment with uh, Mandarin, a little, a little bumpier ride, I'll have to say, but nonetheless, I was in, uh, I was there in Guilin and Beijing and having a blast. And, uh, anyway, it's just, a kind of counterintuitive thing, but if you can just use your mother tongue alphabet, it doesn't matter if it's Cyrillic. It doesn't matter if it's if you're a, if you're a native uh, Asian speaker uh, of one of those languages. Pinyin exists precisely because of the alphabetical, phonic, sonic uh, nature of language, and so you just kind of learn to combine uh, different things with space, and it's the spatial memory that allows you to scale it. Because if you can get vocabulary in a row, let's say you got 10 words perfectly memorized, you just go back and add a phrase to each of those words, which then gives you new words that are pinned to the original words, which helps you scale it. And uh, that's that's the sort of core concept. And then I just help people get even more strategic so that they have one alphabet or one memory palace for every letter of the alphabet, just as a starting gambit. And um, if you were to build a, let's call it a memory palace network, A to Z, and you have 26 memory palaces, one for every letter of the alphabet. Maybe in the language you're learning, it doesn't need 26, but I would do it anyway, because you can base it on your mother tongue. You can invent your own pinion sometimes, so to speak. Um, then you would have, say, just as a starter uh, project, 10 stations in each of these 26 memory palaces. That's space for 260 words and possibly as many as 260 phrases that you would add to that core vocabulary. This is a great way to begin. And by the time you get through 10 of them, you'll be a memory master. You could, you could potentially go and win a competition. Uh, you'll be that good with the memory techniques if you wanted. So, uh, and it just gets deeper and deeper. I mean, we can get into so many granular details about how all this works and happy to do so, but that's just the simple core of, of what I've been doing. And very, very blessed to be able to to teach it. Um, almost getting on to ten years now, full time. So, all right, I have so many questions because I am a bit religious about SRS. So I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. Um, my first is with language learning, regardless of what platform you're using, it's more than just memorization. So there's like understanding and application that comes with this too. So I'm wondering how you take it from memorizing words or memorizing phrases to the point that it's more about the application. Like what's that next step other than just memorizing a bunch of language? Right, right. Yeah, there's certainly the the trap that you're just sitting there noodling away with an intellectual activity. And that's where, you know, Benny's always been great to, to quote with, you know, speak from day one. Um, if you're not speaking, reading, writing, listening, and really compounding all of those activities, you're just cheating yourself and you are turning it into a intellectual activity. And, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with actually just playing around with language, uh, to, to have that sort of thing, but it's not going to be language learning, uh, for sure. And again, my biblical Hebrew experience was not learning biblical Hebrew. Really. It was, something for for a requirement and um 
I don't speak biblical Hebrew the times that I've been in, 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 uh, in Israel. It's, it just doesn't translate or become that sort of skill. But in order to learn German, it wasn't just raw memorization, but it was a great booster. Uh, but without the reading, writing, speaking and, and ample doses of listening, uh, yeah, there's, there's nothing to that, but space repetition software doesn't get you there either. Um, so, you know, there's, a, there's a marketing me and there's a, uh, a teaching me and there's, there's different versions of myself. So some people think that I'm really hard on the software, but what I'm hard on is the behavior with the software because there's, a, and it doesn't matter if it's a software or it's an index card, I'll just show this to you. I know we're on audio, but here's a card and it, um, has a, a horse that says nay, and it has a guy with a W on his chest whose name is Mr. Wrong. And um, there's nothing on the back. There's no way to cheat. This is, I have to know why the horse is saying nay, and I have to know why this Mr. Wrong guy is wrong and what that means. And that's nay wrong, which means content in Mandarin. And um, so when I use space repetition software, I cheat because I just go, nay wrong, what the heck is that? And I press the button and it tells me the answer. Well, that doesn't lead to understanding. It doesn't lead to memorizing. It just leads to cheating. And now some studies show you have a 24% uh, rate of retention that way. But with memory techniques, when you do what's called active recall, which requires you to deeply engage in a multi-sensory way that is personalized and uses some kind of variety, and you don't give yourself the answer, you cause yourself to recall it, then you get greater, not just retention, but you get greater greater ability to put it into use and greater ability to understand what it is that you're doing. So I don't, I don't think it's uh, memory techniques versus space repetition software It's tool and how deeply you engage in using it. And then how deeply you engage in the reading, writing, speaking, and listening uh, aspect when it comes to language learning. But that would be true also of people who are doing exams. So if they're telling me they're studying neurochemistry, I tell them, here's how you memorize the stuff. This is this is the steps that you can go through. But make sure you write a summary of what you just learned. Take every opportunity to, you know, abuse the goodwill of your roommate and talk to them about what you just learned. And, you know, go and listen to an additional podcast. Do some brute force learning by reading five extra Wikipedia pages. So, you know, I teach the techniques, but I always teach the actual, you know, use putting into action because that's just as essential so i'm i'm absolutely a fan of uh, using mnemonics myself i found it extraordinarily beneficial and i tend to combine that with srs in in certain aspects but one thing that i know i definitely struggled with at the start when i first got into language learning and did my own research on mnemonics was to come up with those uh, those links like, you know, it can sound so easy when you say, well, A.B. is Abraham Lincoln. But, you know, it's also very easy to come up with situations that maybe don't have that obvious a link that you can rely on. So, um, you know, with time, one trick I picked up is by learning other languages. Obviously, I have other potential pillars I can work from. But like for someone getting started with this and no matter how much they rack their brain, they can seem to think of a way to. Uh, to make that association, uh, what do you suggest they, they do to kind of grow that imagination to help them become better at mnemonics? Uh, yeah, well, first of all, let me say thank you for, you know, your enthusiasm with mnemonics. I just love in Fluent in Three Months when you're talking about it. And you mentioned there, you know, the stretch at the beginning, it wasn't necessarily, 
easy, but it gets easier by doing. So exercises that get you started doing, I don't know. I find this to be the most exciting thing in the world, but some people find it a little bit tedious, but I do this maybe two to three times a year. I get out a big old piece of paper, uh, you know, one of these art uh, pads and I get a bunch of colors uh, and I just go red a, and then I'll put Axl Rose and then I pick another color B and then I'll be like Batman and then C with another color cookie monster. Now, do you have to do this with different colors? No, but there's a little thing in science called interleaving and uh, the idea of diffuse thinking. So if you're switching things up and you're changing, you know, it's almost like a karate kid, yeah, uh, wax on, wax off. So one color is wax on, the next color is wax off. And you're just training your brain so that when that new incoming thing comes in, someone, you know, you, 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 you have a new word that you want to learn. You've just trained yourself with this exercise, A to Z, you know, by the time you're like, oh, wasn't it the bad guy in G.I. Joe Zartan or something like this? And you've just trained yourself by going through the alphabet, changing colors, wax on, wax off to just play with language. And, you know, if you do know another language, you could rep reproduce it. Uh, you could do your your German A to Z um, and just coming up with different words, different ideas. Uh, you know, I, I now know because uh, of my love for German, Einstrutzende Neubotten. And I know that the singer is Blixa Bargeld. So these are like new B's and new E's and uh, new N's and like all this sort of stuff. So that's a simple exercise. A to Z with the alphabet and just... Don't don't feel badly if you are are still stretched. Like you get to X and you're like, I don't know, what am I going to do for, for X? Just move on to the next letter. The point is the exercise. Uh, other exercises that you can do would be to learn the alphabet backwards, uh, just to start training yourself to to think in terms of sequential spatial arrangements of information. Some people can do it naturally, but I had to train to do it. Uh, it took me about four minutes to set up the alphabet in a Mary Palace and just think of a, you know, a zebra with a yellow xylophone asking what to, whatever, uh, the whole story. And that helps you learn that. So that's another simple exercise. Um, and then a third exercise I'll mention, uh, you don't have to do it in this order, but I like the, uh, the acronym I came up with called cave cogs, cave being spelt with a K. So kinesthetic, auditory, visual, emotional, conceptual, olfactory, gustatory, and spatial. You can make up your own, just try to think of the senses. Um, so but if you were to adopt that model, if you take a word that you, you wanted to learn, uh, let's just go with apartish again, uh, which means, uh, abnormal by the way, um, in German or something along those lines of a, a, something being an abnormal. Um, you could think, okay, so Abraham Lincoln or whatever you come up with, uh, it might, it might be something else. Um, what's the kinesthetic feeling? So if I'm Abraham Lincoln and I think, wow, this is absurd that Mona Lisa has the tail of Tigger now, you know, what do I feel like physically? Um, am I revolted? And then an, an auditory would be, what's the sound of this, the gasp or whatever? And uh, what's the visual? Uh, I'm not a very visual person. I don't really see pictures in my mind. Um, and there's a thing called aphantasia where people just don't uh, have visual imagery. Um, so, but I always ask myself, what would it look like if I could see it? And then the emotion, is it disgust? Is it... Um, 
is it happiness, joy, whatever? I mean, it's not rocket science. There's just only so many emotions. Anyway, you go through it. What's the concept? Is there a genre involved? In this case, Mona Lisa is art. Uh, the Louvre, like all this kind of genre characteristic concepts. And then can you smell the paint? Can you maybe taste the paint? You know, and then how big is the size? And if you just run through that, it's a great exercise to get you doing what you used to do as a kid, just imagining things from different uh, uh, angles. So I don't, I'm not a great fan of people thinking they're too old. I'm not a great fan of thinking that they're not creative. It's, it's not about that. It's just using what you, what you got and formalizing a kind of procedure for yourself. So those are some exercises to go through. So when you're working on building this technique, I imagine that it can feel really slow at the beginning and there's almost a learning curve to go along with it. So how do you start to speed up this process? Because I know this technique is often used by memory champions who have time limits to when they can memorize and then recall what they've learned. So obviously they're doing this quite quickly. What are some of the things that you do to speed up this process of creating mnemonics? Really just what I said, uh, those 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 exercises and memorize with a clock. Uh, I competed once for charity. I, I'm not a, interested very much in memory competitions. I, I have total admiration for it, um, but it's just never, I, I'm not even good at competing in the business world, <laughs> let alone uh, sitting down and memorizing cards. But I did it once for charity and I learned a lot about, you know, what, what that is. Uh, and, you know, the crazy thing about this is, is that if you just let go, put a clock on, You'll be surprised by how much you really can do. I mean, I did half as well as a guy who has two Guinness World Records for the discipline that we were competing in. And that's with never having competed before, um, never practicing to compete, et cetera. And he's practiced like crazy. So, and, and he's very good at that too. I mean, he, he loves to be challenged and beat. And it's because competition is a little bit different than people think it is. You know, there's a lot of factors that go into this. The best person can blow it by just, you know, having a bad morning or whatever. Um, or because people can learn this so fast, they could be they could be shown up quite quickly just by somebody who gets it. And some people do get it very, very quickly. Um, but, yeah, there is a learning curve. And the way to speed up is something like the exercises that I just mentioned, plus a timer. Um Another thing that you can do, and this is going to sound a bit crazy and maybe, maybe, you know, help me if I get too obscure into the weeds here. But a lot of people ask me, why do you teach people to memorize a deck of cards? Well, here's the cool thing. If you have an image for every card in a deck, then you have an image for every tone combination in Mandarin, for example. Because one and four and one and three and one and two and one and one and four and one and all that sort of stuff, those are all represented already for me in my system that I use for cards. It's my system. It's just one of many possible things you could come up with. Also, zero, zero to 99, I have an image for all those. And every single one of those are consonant combinations, as are the images for the cards. So if you're, oh, I really want to memorize this tone and it's four, three. Well, you could just incorporate in your association your playing card image for that or your image for 43. You can do the reverse too. Oh, I'm really having a hard time memorizing any word. Well, what are the what is the numerical equivalent for that word? You could just use a number to help you remember the core consonants in a word and so forth. So that's uh, one way you can help yourself speed up is just 
add another system and then switch between two systems. And, you know, in terms of brain science, that's called cognitive switching. Very healthy. Uh, There's research that shows that you can get something like 32 years of brain fortification against, uh, you know, things like Alzheimer's and dementia. No promises, but it's a good thing to be doing. Having multiple skills, switching, cognitive switching is very, very good for brain for brain longevity. So um, I want to go back to you, what you were saying at the start of your story, because uh, getting into this, especially when you're going through a tough time in your life, can uh, it can feel like such an uphill battle. So like what um, what aspects can give people short term wins that they can potentially like feel that initial buzz to to move forward? Because when you talk about like memorizing vocabulary of a language, it can feel like, you know, how could I possibly remember tens of thousands of words? And that can feel super intimidating. So what are the, like you could test yourself and know a couple of words, but what are the big wins that people can actually take that, uh, especially that would have helped you initially? Like, I can't imagine the things you would have had to remember for your PhD thesis that you would have had to present. Like, how did you get to that point from a point of where you're suffering from clinical depression? Like, how did you make that transition to get your motivation through all this memory? I'm glad you asked that because it's a sort of sideline of the story I told that, that, that I didn't get into. When I started to do this, I immediately felt a boost in my mood. And I thought this is crazy, you know, like I, I didn't, didn't solve <laughs> anything really, uh, but I just felt better, partly because it's confidence, uh, partly because it's, you know, something strange and new and interesting, but I've been feeling better and better and better and better. And I still practice to this day. I mean, I've memorized now 150 Sanskrit verses, um, which has taught me a, a, a fair amount about what Sanskrit is, although i don't really know Sanskrit, but anyway, uh, th- I just feel better and better and better. And I found a couple of years ago, a guy named Dr. Tim Dalglish, who has studies in method of loci for PTSD and depression. Now, method of loci is another term for memory palace. It's basically more or less the same thing. And I thought that must be why I felt better because there's the development of dopamine in the brain. There's development of myelin in the brain and possibly your nor- norepinephrine um, levels would increase. So this isn't exactly the most helpful tip, but it's just like if you just get started and you you do get started and you, you practice it and you get to some uh, level, you will get a buzz. And if you keep practicing, that buzz should increase. And we have we have good and it's not just one study. There are multiple studies showing people with PTSD having greater resilience. Now, if I were to do it again, I think I could even have better results because of the Dalglish studies. And I've started uh, teaching this and helping people with it and we're, we're seeing results. What he's talking about is a little bit different, which is rather than do hard memorization of vocabulary or philosophy or whatever the case may be, he says that this is what they do in the studies. You take a memory palace, same deal. He, I, I think in his study, he had 17 stations in a memory palace. I talk usually about 10 to get started, but he had 17. The typical person was, was asked to try to assemble 17 positive memories along a journey through a home or through a f- favorite park. And then when they were feeling stressed or they had a PTSD symptom or depression, to start to trigger off these positive memories. So in the corner of the living room, 
you know, you have a positive memory. And I reproduced this myself. And, and I started feeling even more joyous and, and better. So that's what people can do. Um, I'm happy to, you know, point them to that. But Tim Dalglish is easy to search if you want. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard science to read, but um, you don't have to take my word for it. But if you're happy to take my word for it, I've got a, a video where I showed my own happy memory palace thing. And, you know, I still, I, my depression hasn't gone away. I still have to deal with this. And uh, now having this knowledge, I do have this happy memory palace, the same one I created in this training that I share with people. And literally within few five, six minutes, I hardly get through two or three of these happy memories. And I just feel so much better. Um, Plus, I, you know, have this high powered Sanskrit, which I highly recommend people look into this as well, because the Sanskrit in particular is it's like saying, you know, your thoughts are as undisciplined as a little boy. And the idea that any of your thoughts are real is like a rabbit with horns. <laughs> and it, it just just when you're in a bad mood or your mind is grumbling and so forth, and you start thinking about how the reality of thoughts is as stable as a rabbit with horns, like you just instantly feel better. <laughs> So those are things that people can do uh, to, but I mean, the guy who could figure out how to get people who are depressed to, to take the initiative to do this, they're not only going to get the Nobel prize, they're going to be able to buy Sweden, you know? So I just do the best that I can, but if you can find in yourself, just any of the joy, knowing that I was once going to jump off a bridge, you know, you can do it, man, or, or person or human, like whatever's inside of you, it's possible and I wish that I knew, you know, the magic thing to say. I only know just to, to, just to share it. Um, but I believe wholly that any person can get out of hell because at least, I mean, I listen to so many positive tapes. I never forget Brian Tracy, I think his name is, saying again and again and again at the end of all the tapes I used to listen to. If you can do it, if, any, if somebody else can do it, you can do it too. And I think that's a universe. There's few universal truths, but that's got to be one of them if there are any. You've mentioned a few times your history with learning dead languages like Sanskrit and biblical languages. And I know that there are others who are interested in studying these languages and they tend to be notoriously difficult languages to study because of availability of resources and the types of resources that are available. So do you have any tips for someone who's looking to learn a language like this? Yeah, I mean just because it's quote unquote dead um, doesn't mean that you can't read, write, speak, and listen. Uh, it might be a little bit difficult. Uh, you know, in Sanskrit, I have some people that I speak to and we, we do sort of these sort of philosophical discussions of what it is. And, you know, the word for God uh, is complicated because they're not really talking about God. Usually it's, it's, it means both knowledge and reality at the same time. And so, you know, we're able to talk about this and then we go and then we're like, yeah, but Shariram and, you know, uh, the, the, the word of the, the meaning of Shetram in this uh, particular thing. And then I, I go, hey, does that Shetram sound <laughs> good to you? And, and then he's like, well, I don't know. But, you know, we're, 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 we're still working with the language and we're, we're thinking about things like pronunciation and so forth um, and nuances of what it can mean. And, you know, Sandy this and, um, you know, it's just... Yeah, find people that are passionate about that language as well and talk about it. And, you know, one of the, is it, the I think there's very, very similar problems. I, I've had people say, you know, your Sanskrit sounds great. And I've had other people say like, what the, 
you know, you, you guys have work to do. And there are still regional differences because it, you'll hear somebody chanting Sanskrit who's coming from North India versus South India. There's going to be differences. Um, and it's no different than trying to deal with the, the N and the R endings in, in, in Mandarin, you know, like there's just differences regardless of whether it's dead or not. Um, and I would also suggest reading like David Crystal's language death and just books about, you know, the importance of engaging in those languages to inspire you. Um, it just, what, what, what a precious thing it is that some, old Jehudis sat and, and figured out how to communicate with each other through sound. I mean, yeah, just, just, just be inspired. That, that's, a, that's a great way. And also understand that um, difficult is in your mind, you know, and if it's in your mind, then you can shape it. And so wax on, wax off. It's uh, it's, it's not more complicated than that. So um, among the, the many things, the, the projects you've been working on and the, in all the time since you've been like um, putting content online and such, uh, you've uh, most recently been um, working on the Brain Exercise Bootcamp, and this is something that we're kind of partnering with you. And I'll uh, give details that people can check out in the show notes. But I'd love to hear your take on it. What is that exactly? The Brain Exercise Bootcamp is an initiative to create a program that helps people who are struggling to get into memory techniques and who also want activities that help them improve their focus, their concentration, without necessarily needing to have things that they want to memorize. And so I did a lot of research into what exactly is brain exercise and what, if there were rules, what are those rules? And so a lot of them blend with the rules of memory science that we've you know talked about already, but uh, it's, it's a little bit my, dissatisfaction with the apps that are not really providing real brain exercise. So, you know, I've consulted with actual neuroscientists who have done studies with, I won't mention any of the branded softwares, but actually done studies and figured out, you know, what's wrong with them and what is, what is needed and what could a person do to actually emulate what those things are promising. And so this is what I put together. And so it's a multi-sensory way of giving yourself brain exercise that you can do anywhere at any time, multiple times throughout the day to get cognitive switching um, and the benefits from it uh, to be able to have things like we're talking about the reading, writing, speaking, and listening sort of components of things, but without necessarily having to learn a language. Um, but if you are learning a language, then it's going to help you double down on what works in mnemonics, what works in the memory palace, what works through association, because you're going to be unpacking from your mind, from the world around you, these multi-sensory, multi-layered, uh, multi-dimensional aspects of yourself. So, you know, a typical exercise that I will take you through is, for example, your earliest memories of music and give you a structured way to dig into your past with music. Now, it's going to give you some uh, semantic uh, experience with it, which means what are the words that were involved in that music? How were those words structured? What were the names of the musicians? What are the sounds of those names? And how do those have parallels to the music itself? Uh, what would be any sort of physical memories that you have? Like, for example, I remember my mom had a basket filled with cassettes 
and you know the cassettes would get broken and you'd even cut your finger on it like just encouraging people to go deeply into the multi-sensory nature of all memory of all of sensation and inquire into it and then get it into writing just simple writing sort of exercises and go through it so this is just one of over 40 exercises that are in the brain exercise boot camp and they mix and match so somewhat thinking about you know ars combinatoria and the the art of combination from giordano bruno and his idea of if you could experience infinity in the limits of this world how would that work what what would be the experience of infinity and so it's just taking people through all of these multidimensional things that we mentioned, the kinesthetic, the auditory, the visual, the emotional, the conceptual, and mixing and matching them in as many ways as possible with a structured way of doing it in order for them to be able to use memory techniques better, to be able to just have the benefits of what it is that these apps are supposedly trying to do without wasting your time switching tiles around while coins are flashing and your personal data is being stolen and you're being showed advertising that is distracting you, not giving you the benefits of cognitive switching. So, so far, so good. Everybody who's gone through it, I, you know, I haven't had a single complaint and I do ask people to complain and I deeply engage them and try to get as much feedback as I can. And anything that, nothing has come up yet with this, but anything that ever has, I always just go in and fix it and, you know, try to explain it a different way or, or whatever. But yeah, it, 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 it's just a great opportunity to work more closely together, but not necessarily to memorize anything, but it will, it, it is a gateway drug, so to speak, to, to actually then, ah, now I get it, you know, um, and then be able to go, ah, yes, I'm a child again, let's play and let's, you know, Tony Bazan, who was a great mentor to me, unfortunately, he's gone to the great memory palace in the sky, but he always pointed out what you have lost is not just your childlike enthusiasm. You've lost your childlike science because what do children do? They don't just play, but they test, they experiment, they grab that piece of paper and they want to know what it tastes like. You know, um, they, they want to know what it sounds like when they scrunch it up. So that's, that's a lot. I'm just inviting you back to elementary school, but not just as a, not just to play, but also to do science uh, together. And one of the questions that we always like to ask each of our guests on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast is what is your definition of language hacking? Oh, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure that I've thought about this, but in terms of the hack, I mean, one of the best things, and this, com this comes from information theory more than anything, and it's kind of what could you do to take the 80-20 rule and personalize it? So, you know, people say, should I memorize this frequency list or should I work with that frequency list and so forth? And I go, yes, and. So frequency lists are great, but they don't, they're not you. They're not what you want to say. And they're not what the world's going to throw at you necessarily. Um, so if you're going to hack it, take that list, 80-20 the list. What's the 20% of that list that is going to give you the biggest impact tomorrow you know, and even just the 2% of the 20% that you can knock down knowing that tomorrow I'll be able to use this or even later today. And then what's, what's your other list, the, the, the me list or the, 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 the wish list, and then 80, 20, that as well, and just build it over time. So, you know, when I was in Germany, I was uh, not only speaking because of the academic setting, but I was also playing in a band. 
And so one of the things that I found was very useful for me in terms of hacking uh, or personalizing my own little list was to read interviews with musicians that I that I liked. And I would pick up the most crazy phrases that you'll never find in any sort of book or any dictionary. Um, one of them that comes to mind was, Ich hab schon mein Untergang sekt. No, Ich hab mein Untergang sekt schon im Keller or in Kuhschrank, um, which means I already have my champagne for the end of the world in my fridge. <laughs> Right. And so that was just like kind of a, a cool thing that you would, you would pick up. And that that's technically hacked because I realized I could just listen to interviews with musicians that I already found interesting and hear how they talked. And then I could then talk that way with uh, the musicians I was meeting while I was on tour with my band. And, um, you know, then I would learn new phrases because they'd be like, oh, where did you hear that from? I haven't heard it. You know, nobody's used Untergangs Act for a long time. And then they would share, you know, some other thing that they that they knew. And then, then it expands. So frequency list, 80, 20 it, and then make your own, you know, list or multiple lists of what you want to be able to say. I'd say that'd be my definition of language hacking. Very good. So this has been very interesting. And uh, I really hope people will check you out for um, further memory advice and course we'll be linking to all your stuff in the show notes and once again people should check out the brain exercise bootcamp uh, specifically and we'll have details of that of um uh, just a, the short term special offer that people can check out so otherwise thank you so much for joining us and uh, we will wish you and everyone else until the next time a very happy language learning happy language learning thank you for having me All right. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest, which was Anthony in this episode. And these are things that you can apply to your language learning so that you can see immediate changes, immediate results and see, find new things that work for you. So, Benny, we'll start with you. What was your takeaway from our conversation with Anthony? So obviously mnemonics is uh, infinitely useful when it comes to language learning because Vocabulary is such an important thing, but I liked what he was saying about the versatility of um, of using systems like this. Other than like we didn't touch on at all in, in the episode that you could learn people's names or whatever, but I'd never really considered the psychological aspects that you could even make memory palaces for happy, uh, happy memories in your life to improve your mood. And I think things like that show us that if you learn a new uh, system like this with the motivation of helping you learn vocabulary in a language faster. You can use these same techniques and these same tricks of like associating two consonants with uh, two digit numbers and the concept of the memory palace itself. And it can enrich your your life in other ways. It can uh, help you with your mood. You can, uh, as he mentioned, like you're, you're tapping into different cognitive uh, aspects of your brain and it's kind of really enriching your life in that aspect. So I really, I really appreciated that, that like if you dive into mnemonic techniques like this, you could really um, improve your mood as among other things. So that uh, I had not really ever thought about that before with mnemonics. I had two, maybe two and a half. And so I'm going to try and sneak them both in here. But the first was a lot of the questions that I asked him, it's like, how do you get better at this? Like, what do you need to do to learn this skill? And his answer was often like, obviously he went beyond this and explained a little bit more in detail, but in short, you could almost summarize a lot of his answers to just do it, 
like the way to get better is to practice doing it. And I think a lot of the time, it's one of those things where we're just often looking for shortcuts. We're looking for like a quick way to figure something out when really in reality, the the fastest way to do something is just through repetition, like you said. And the second takeaway that I had is this is the one that's kind of like one and a half. And the first was about active recall and how we no longer really force ourselves to do this in a lot of situations. So it's a skill that we've lost in a lot of ways. Like I'm sure Benny, you've been in the situation where you're sitting around with a bunch of friends and you're like, Oh, who's that actor in that film? And before maybe 10 years ago, we would have been sitting there going, Hmm. And we would have thrown some ideas around until one of us remembered the name of the actor. And now someone's like, Oh, hang on, let me look it up. Google. And so we don't force ourselves to recall information in the same way that we used to. Granted, these tools that we use to not have to do that, the reason that they're there is to make our lives easier so that we don't need to do that. But and when you are working on a skill like building a language, it's, it's a necessary thing. So it's something that you do need to practice and do. And so then the half related to that is with cheating with SRS. So I... I didn't really think about it, but I guess I do kind of cheat with SRS. If I can't think of the answer right away, I'm like, skip. I want to get through my flashcards quickly or show me the answer. Um, and that's not great practice that, I mean, I'm avoiding that active recall in a lot of ways. And, um, sometimes I think we could use to slow down in our studies and force that active recall and then not let ourselves cheat if SRS is our preferred memory system. Um, and it is easy to cheat with it. So, um, not just, you know, teaching yourself not to like allow it. So those are my takeaways. All right. You can find again, all of the links, resources, everything else mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And again, if you enjoy the language hacking podcast, please leave us a review. You can do so at languagehacking.com slash review. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.